0: Today's message, if we've got it up on the PowerPoint, um, is about broadcasting Jesus, um, preparing the way for the King of Kings, and we're going to be looking at passages from Matthew 3. So um, the other day, with the opening of Parliament, remember that day, if any of us were driving on the roads that day, we we would have been really distressed. But fortunately for me, I was going on the end to outbound towards Metro's Plain. I was dropping my daughter off. And on the right-hand side of me, I saw cars backed up and no one was moving. And I was thinking, wow, everyone's going to be late today, even the school children." And then suddenly in the distance, but I heard the sound before I actually saw it, I heard sirens. And coming closer to the right, I just saw this... Um, sort of car brigade going down the middle of the N2. Cars were moving to the left and to the right, but there were blue lights, four motor motorcops in the front, and the sirens were so loud, and then there were four cars behind in black with the little flags. Have you seen something like this? But there, and then behind them were more uh, motorcycles, and there were more blue lights flashing, and of course a couple of taxis you thought they could ride around to, <laughs> with the procession. And it was so loud, and it was amazing how they could just slice through the middle of that chaos, and people were basically, cars were piling up on both sides. But the blaring sirens were to let everyone know that something important was about to happen, someone important was on their way, and I thought, was it the president? Maybe it was a royal visitor. We don't know. We've got lots of secret visitors in our country. So Tom Wright says... Take a scene like that and put it 2,000 years ago. And instead of the N2 freeway, we're going to find ourselves in a hot and dusty Judean desert. And there's no cops on motorbikes and uh, blue lights. There's no built-up roads. There's just a man, John, standing by the Jordan River, shouting, calling to the people gathering in the desert. His voice is the siren, and he's telling them, to prepare themselves for the arrival of the king and the kingdom rule. And here's a photograph, for those of you who have been to see it, is actually of where people think the actual spot was where John was standing. And I'm a bit sad because it looks a bit different to the natural landscape, I imagined. And of course, there's stairs and covering for people to um, go and reflect. But if you looked at John, you'd probably want to run away from him, and you wouldn't want to listen to what he has to say. Well, maybe out of curiosity, you'd go and poke your head around to find out what's going on. Today, we would say he looked like a homeless man with his hairy camel coats and leather belts, and he's giving off this wild hippie vibes, and he looks eccentric and a bit wild. And back then, people would say, actually, that he was dressed rather like the prophet Elijah in 2 Kings one eight. And he was living a life of abstinence and solitude, set apart from the world for God. And you'd ask the people around you, what's going on? And they'd whisper, shh, listen to what he's saying. They say his name's John the Baptizer. And John's voice is full of authority. And he says loudly in Matthew 3 verse 2, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near." Now, that word repent means to do an about turn, like 180 degrees. For example, I'm lying, I'm gossiping, I'm committing adultery. No, I'm not. But if I was abusive, I would, and repentance, I would stop. And then I would turn around and I would be starting to walk in God's holy ways. I would be embracing um, truth and purity and gentleness and so on. Confession is admitting to guilt. Repentance is turning away from that which has been confessed. It's a change of heart. And this is the preparation needed for the coming king and his kingdom rule. And John's not an influential politician. There's no opening of parliament celebrations, no dressing up with fancy hats and hairdos, no feast at the palace, no army parade was necessary just prepare your heart. Make it right with God. Turn away from sin and come back to him. And John was calling people to holiness. And by the way, John didn't really um, enjoy fancy food. He ate locusts with honey, remember? And if you read in the Old Testament law in Leviticus 11.21, Jews are permitted to eat them. They're kosher. They were and still are eaten by the poor in Palestine, in Syria. And they're common, if you want to know what to do with them, if we have a locust invasion, we can give it a try. You can dry them out and salt them. You can cook them in many ways, pound them, fry them in butter, and apparently they taste like shrimp. A little boy uh, posted his creation. It was locusts with uh, a little bit of chocolate. So, okay. Hundreds of people were moved by John's words, and they were coming back to God with repentant hearts, and there was a revival happening. It always starts with people turning from their wicked ways, if you look in the history of revival. And John baptizes them in the water as a public sign of their confession and change of heart. And they've made the decision to walk with their God, walk according to the ways of God's kingdom. And did you know that baptism wasn't a Christian idea? Um, This uh, lovely picture, isn't it beautiful? Um, It just has a very special quality, not only the colors. It was uh, painted by uh, Ivy Hayes in 1208, and she says, you know, God just uses me, and at the tips of my finger points, I just feel his spirit. And uh, that's why I've included that. So that's not really John's baptism. But the idea of baptism was actually already um, happening. Uh, There were ceremonial cleansing and other kinds of washings, but baptism occurred when a person converted to Judaism. So if if it was a man, he would have to be circumcised, he'd have to be under the teaching of the scribes, and he would need to be baptized. So the idea of going under the water was not new to the Jews who were watching what was going on at the riverbank. But what was new was that it was Jews who were being baptized. John was preaching that being a Jew in, by birth was not enough to be in a right relationship with God. And many people think like that even today. You know, my mom's a Christian, my granny's a Christian, my auntie's a Christian, my uncle's a Christian, my dad's a Christian, so therefore I am a Christian. John wanted each person to make a personal decision and commitment to prepare their hearts for God. And he challenged the religious leaders standing there for being so prideful of their Jewish ancestry because they believed that rituals and religious ways would be enough for God's blessing and salvation. No, because God was doing a new thing in human history. And people needed to prepare their hearts for him by humbling themselves confessing their sins and turning from their wicked ways. Does this ring familiar bells with you in the scriptures? But why? No one answered, so I hope everyone's okay. (laughs) So why would people believe John? My mother always told me not to talk to people that looked like him. Here's the thing. God had been silent for more than 400 years up to that point in time. It seemed that heaven had been closed to the nation of Israel. The prophets no longer spoke, but the scriptures had not been forgotten. And so John starts his baptism services by the Jordan River, and the people remembered that God had promised to one day forgive them and heal the nation and return to his people. And they remembered messages of hope that the Messiah would come again. And so John broadcasts Jesus. He announces the coming kingdom. It's at hand. It's not far off. And he preaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. God's reign is about to come. Get ready. And they remembered the words of the prophet Isaiah, that there would be a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the path for him. From Isaiah 40, verse 3. And John was that voice, fulfilling an ancient prophecy and calling people to get ready for the Lord's arrival. Make the way of the Lord straight means get right with God. And so confessing their sins, They were baptized by John in the Jordan River. The people believed John and came out of Jerusalem and all Judea by the hundreds into the desert. Who would have thought? No buses to bring people along. And they came to ask God for forgiveness and cleansing as they were baptized, a symbolism of confession and repentance. And you know, John was amazing. He never pointed to himself. It was difficult because of the way he looked, I suppose, and the way he spoke. And he had authority, but he always pointed to Jesus. In verse 11, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And Jesus is, John is busy preaching that the one coming, the one that they are preparing their hearts for, um, is more powerful and greater than himself. That this one would be coming to baptize believers with the Holy Spirit and fire, the fire of judgment, because God would burn away the chaff of the land and evil would be immersed into the fires and be destroyed. And John describes himself as not being worthy even to hold the sandals, carry his sandals. So if you were a servant in those days, one of the lowest jobs was when your master returned home, you would take his sandals off and hold it and keep it for him. You'd wash his feet, but you'd hold it until he called for it again. John saying, I'm not even worthy to hold his sandals. And then out of the blue, whether it was that day or the next day or Soon thereafter, Jesus arrives on the scene and simply takes his place in the line to be baptized. In Matthew 3, we read in verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. And of course, John is horrified, not because he wasn't expecting him, but why did he want to be baptized? Surely Jesus was going to help him baptize wait a minute, because this baptism is for guilty people, for sinful people who want to stop and turn away from their wicked ways. This baptism isn't for you, Jesus. You're the sinless one. You don't have to be baptized. You don't need to repent. Because John recognized his second cousin to be, if you read this story, it's in all of the Gospels, but in John 1, he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the one who is predicted, the Messiah. John knew that Jesus was special, even from when he was in Elizabeth's womb. Remember that story in Luke 1, where Mary and Elizabeth meet, both pregnant, and Jesus and John has a supernatural reaction to the presence of Jesus. And I can imagine John leaning in closer to Jesus, sort of gripping him by his shirt and saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? What are you doing, Jesus? You've got nothing to be sorry for. And then John uh, would have been probably gripped by his shoulder and Jesus would have said, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, let it go, John. It's only right that we do what God requires. I need to obey my Father, and it's important that I meet all the conditions needed for people to be made right with God. So Jesus came to accomplish the Father's mission, not his own. He didn't just do what he wanted to do. He came in obedience to the Father who loves us and sent his Son to save us from the punishment of death for sins. Jesus, who is God, took on the form of man, as Jane was reading earlier, and identified with human experiences. By being baptized in what we can call the river of humanity, He humbly identified himself with people's sins and failures. He immersed himself in the waters of my life and your life. He knows what it feels like to be human. He knows what it feels like to be tempted and face trials and have heartache. Emmanuel, God with us, identifies with us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet, he did not sin. In Hebrew, the author of Hebrews wrote for us. And although he did not sin, he would eventually take unto himself all the sins of the world, including yours and mine. And he would take our punishment and die on the cross. All this in obedience to the Father, because he loves us. What a gift. Do you agree? What a gift offered to us. And it's a gift that's still available today. And if you haven't made the decision to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, can do it today, can do it now. Let's just take a moment to pray. Lord, we want to ask you to revive our hearts again, Lord, into this truth that you came to us as a human to identify with us so that you, the perfect human, can take our sins, suffer the punishment for it, so that we can be free and have eternal life through you, Lord. We want to confess our sins in this time of Lent. We want to draw close to you, Lord, and we want to remember your great sacrifice for us. Come renew us, Lord. Come and fill us with your presence. Come and turn our hearts, Lord. Help us to change, to be more like you, Help us to walk humbly with you. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, John consented. Must have been a bit of an argument. And he baptizes Jesus. And then suddenly, something amazing happens. The Father broadcasts Jesus. He announces his Son and all who were there witnessed it. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water and that moment heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And we see a picture here of the Godhead, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit appears in the form of a dove, and in Luke it said it was the bodily form of a dove, and it rested on Jesus, who is the Son. The dove, I've always wondered, why not an eagle with like big claws coming down on Jesus? But the dove symbolizes peace and gentleness and humbleness. Jesus is given supernatural power to do his Father's will, to be the Prince of Peace. He was to become the lamb that was slain, to humbly, without complaint, go to the cross. And then for the first time in hundreds of years, there's been silence, God speaks, and what are his first words? This is my son. Wow. Imagine the sound of God's voice. Dr. Robbie Boshoff, who's done a lot of study around the voice of God, she would have said, it's like a thunder. Can you imagine? The sky is opening up, and one of the Gospels said the sky ripped open. Heaven ripped open. And this voice booming and says, this is my son. I love him. I'm pleased with him. Whatever he's done up to now, I'm pleased with him. Whatever he's going to do, I'm pleased with him because God knows. And everyone there would have seen that Jesus was no ordinary man. God pronounces the presence of the king, and he has prepared the way for his son to become the king of kings, and this event marks the commissioning or the start of Jesus's ministry as the servant king, and he would do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. It was as though heaven opens, but if you go to the very next chapter, chapter 4, hell opens, remember? Remember? where Jesus goes into the wilderness by himself and he faces the devil that's been up to then, making a meal of God's creation and tearing people away from the creator. And Jesus goes to face him in the power of the Spirit. And I think, Lord, what are you saying to us today? And we, my third point, is that we are to broadcast Jesus. We are to announce The king. How do we prepare a way for the king of kings in Pinelands and in the surrounding areas? How do we proclaim Jesus in the context of our lives? No, probably don't wear the camel and grow your hair long. Do we speak about him openly at school, at work, and at home? Are we undercover agents with dark glasses keeping the good news for our Christian friends? Can we see? uh, Can can others see Jesus Christ in my life? The way we live, the way we treat others, the way we speak and respond to life, and what life and God allows us to face. And I came across a little list of what Jesus continuously said yes to in obedience to His Father, for the sake of the world, for you, and for me. And I read. I'm reading some of it. I've changed some of it. And I want us to think about how Jesus wants us to respond to the needs of our community and the surrounds. How can we broadcast Jesus here and make Him known? Because we are called to walk with Him and follow Him, follow His footsteps. He is the one who's led the way. So here are a few ideas. He brought good news to the poor. He welcomed the outsider and the foreigner. The community I'm going to be working in, have you heard what happened last Monday? People are being burnt because they're foreign nationals. Burnt alive. He gave hospitality to the hungry and the thirsty. He forgave the woman caught in adultery. He raised the decomposing Lazarus into the fragrance of new life. He allowed a woman like Mary, a prostitute, to anoint and kiss his feet. He had compassion and healed the blind, the deaf, and the lame. He provided a miracle when the wine ran out. Wouldn't we all like to be doing that? Or when someone was ill. He became a servant of all and washed dirty feet. He promoted love for God and one's neighbor. He proclaimed peace and nonviolence in a world of swords. He spoke truth with power and with the word delivered those in bondage. He submitted himself to suffering in the garden of Gethsemane. He took up and carried his cross. And he quietly took the beatings and the mockings of his persecutors. And he willingly died so that we may have eternal life with the Father. He reconciled with Peter after he denied him three times. And he is alive and he's overcome death and evil, and he's always interceding for us before the Father. He's covering us with his prayers. Can we cover others in prayers? Can we do any of these? We need to proclaim the kingdom has come and is yet to come. We need to proclaim the king has come and is coming again. When I walk out of this building today, will people look at me and say, oh, I can see Jesus in you. And the challenge today is what about you? Let's take the challenge and ask God this week, Lord, how can I walk like you? How can I broadcast you, make you known? Because you are the famous one. We don't have to have sirens, but we do have a voice. And so let's speak out for the King of Kings.